0: Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition, and we've got a really juicy topic today. We're talking about game changers in their athletic events by having introduced a technique. That was without precedent, thereby changing the game. So I've got with me, as usual, my co-host Chuck Nice. What's Chuck? up, Neil? All right, good. And you're here for levity because you've never done any professional sports. I've at never all. done anything professionally,
1: <laughs> any sports at all. Period.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so just so there's just to manage expectations That's of the off. audience. <laughs> and we got Gary O'Reilly, of course. Gary, we love you, man. Love you too, Uh, Neil. All right, all right. Uh, We we stole you from the UK, Mm -hmm. uh, where you were a soccer pro and a soccer announcer, and now you're helping us here with Star
2: Talk. Yeah, and when I played professional soccer, uh, I did on occasion make people laugh, but that's another story.
3: (laughs) (laughs) For for (laughs) reasons and a whole other
0: a whole other cause of humor than Mm -hmm. anything. Chuck Nice would be giving <laughs> us. So here's what we're going to do. The uh, this this is the first in a sort of a, a mini series, a sort of a subset of Star Talk Sports Edition, where we're going to include a salute to science and technology. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's it's how these things have come to bear on sports that were long traditional, but then were transformed simply in the presence of clever technique, clever technologies, uh, and innovative science. And for this particular show, we've got my friend and longtime colleague, Charles Liu. Charles! Hi,
3: hey, Neil. Good
0: you, to see you. And as people who know, know you from this show, you're our resident—how uh, do we call it? Geek Chuck, in chief. Uh, his Geek in chief. You're our geek in chief. Because on the geek spectrum, you know, I— I fancy myself on the geek spectrum. Okay, I'm there,
1: and I'm 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 I'm. Yeah, but but you're what we know you're in about the visible light <laughs> part of this. Spectrum, Neil. <laughs> you're in the visible light part. Okay,
0: because because the interesting thing about geekdom is no matter how geeky you think you are. The scale just keeps going beyond, and you'll come up with something that you're proud of, and someone just walks in, knocks on the door, and say, nope, you missed out episode seven in the third comic book of the second. (laughs) And it's like, dang. And all you can Mm -hmm. do is stand in awe, as we all do for you,
3: Charles By the way, that's also true for opera, just so you know. Is that right? Yeah, See, you just he, you
1: just he, proved, he, proved our
3: point, Charles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can't help
3: yourself. You just proved the whole point. Opera buffs are amazing. They they you can pull out like one Italian phrase in some opera written in 1864 by somebody that you've never heard of, and you just thought you were really good at it. and You're just not.
0: You're just not because somebody else just just throws down on top right. of that. See, we
3: just we so, just found out like on the
1: spectrum, Charles is gamma ray. That's as Charles is on the spectrum.
0: <laughs> That's as high as energy on the spectrum as you can Paul get. Oh, <laughs> So, Charles, you are a um, you're my co-author on more than one project. Yes. Uh, you were around as one of our chief scientists when we built the Rose Center for Earth and Space. Yes. Um, you go way back. You're now on on the faculty. Are you now dean or something? You got some highfalutin academic title at the um, CUNY? Just a professor, just a
3: professor. Okay,
0: you're just a plain old professor, okay? Uh, And you have physics and uh, in the department of physics there? Physics and astronomy. Physics and astronomy at the College of Staten Island at the City University of New York. And that's in arm's reach of us, which wouldn't be necessary. In covert times, but when you have we have you in studio, that helps because we call on you often. So what we want to do, we want to introduce, um, I'm going to go in sequence here. We have several athletes that we're profiling in a good way. Charles, Charles overreacts anytime, something like that. I right? say, so, we're profiling <laughs> Simone yeah. Biles.
1: And you say, why are you always <laughs> going I'm, I'm, to say, I'm, I was about to react. I'm like... <laughs> I'm not a big fan of profiling. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) That's all I'm saying, too.
0: (laughs) Okay, so she's the reigning and undisputed queen of world gymnastics, okay? And she has more world championship medals than any other gymnast. And so here's what she did. She raised the bar on difficulty and technique while basically gracefully demonstrating how... Physics can be exploited to annihilate your opponents, okay? <laughs> physics, you, you, don't argue with physics, because <laughs> physics is going to show up. And it's either going to help you or knock you out of competition. So why don't we start out? Uh, I, I have a clip of her in the 2019 U.S. Gymnastics Championships, where she made history by being the first woman to land a triple-double in her floor routine, Let's hear this commentary from was this uh, NBC uh, NBC sports announcers uh, giving commentary on what they witness. Let's check this out.
3: It is unreal and as well done as anybody, man or woman, has competed in.
2: And here we go, right off the bat, the very first tumbling pass, triple twisting, double back.
4: Oh. <laughs> money. Oh. Just keep making history, Simone Biles.
0: Well, so, uh, first, Charles, yes. how does a human body do this? What, well, what's, what's, what's going on here? And could it be that she's four feet eight? I mean, I, I don't remember many six yeah. feet gymnasts of, of, of any gender. <laughs> right. So what's going, what's going on here?
3: Well... As always, it's gravity and rotation that makes the difference. Mm. Gravity restricts the amount of time Simone has in the air to perform the stunts and the techniques. Well, and but, that's, uh,
0: but that's true for everybody. Mm-hmm. So don't be telling me that no. it's helping her in some way.
3: Well, if she can push harder and get higher, then she can have longer to do her work. Hang time. That's the hang time. And the hang the, time. Gymnastic rotation. hang time. Right, rotation is the other aspect. She's doing both a twist and she's doing a roll or flip, right? So she has to be able to torque her body in two different axes at the same time, triple twisting, double flip, right? It is truly an amazing combination.
0: Well, let's just unpack this. So in physics, you learn about rotation, right? So a wheel turns and there's one axis and and the equation's related to that. But she's not turning on just one axis here. That's right.
3: So she has to minimize her rotational inertia or moment of inertia, as it's sometimes called, in two axes at once. And we have a hard time thinking about that, but uh, we'll get to figure skating later, I think. (laughs) But if you watch a figure skater start a spin, they'll start with their arms out, And then as they pull their arms in closer and closer to the centers of their bodies, their spinning goes faster and faster and faster. That has to do with the conservation of angular momentum, just as you described. In order for Simone to be able to twist three times and flip twice while in the air, her axes have to be super tight in both directions. And this is, for example, why a six foot gymnast doesn't do as well as a four foot eight mm. gymnast, because if you're big, it's really hard to compact yourself in every dimension that you can in order to do the routine. I don't know. Also, I don't, it's going to take I don't longer. I've
1: ever seen Shaquille O'Neal do a floor routine. That, <laughs> guys, guys, <laughs> that would guys be nice. <laughs> <Guys amazing. laughs> that would be awesome.
0: That, yeah. So uh, with Shaquille O'Neal accepted here, <laughs> for, 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 just in this example. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Do we really want to see Shaq do a floor no, routine? No. <laughs> really? I was just—I closed my eyes and I yeah. said, "No, no, no!" Exactly. I, think I can't. At the un- end,
1: it wouldn't be a floor. I was going right? to say the It'd first be a thing is, of is Right. First thing you do is yeah. a series of
0: craters. Crater where, R- where, R- where, R- routine. There you go. The crater routine. So, so Charles, so for an ice skater, because the friction is so low between them and the they and the ice, as as they're spinning, they can spin faster. And obviously, if you're in midair, there's no friction—not uh, to speak of—between you okay. and the air. So you right. get to spin faster in the same way the figure skaters do. Right. Whereas if I'm just standing on the ground and I pull my arms in, I don't end up spinning faster because the friction you stops you. You do me. actually, Neil. I don't feel. We it. should
3: get Shaquille Neil could do that. Ask no, no, I'm saying sometime. if I'm
0: standing on the ground.
3: Yeah. Sometime ask Shaquille. Okay, maybe maybe on his tippy toes. To swing around with his arms open. Oh, ballet style. Yeah, okay. and pull the arms in, and you will spin faster. Yeah, okay. You'll stop really right. quickly because of the friction, but yeah. you still will go faster for a short period. Of time.
0: So, so Simone Biles has to do this in two axes.
3: So so the twisting and the flipping.
1: So do the, do you want those axes to come together? Like so that what are they called? Like those, oh man, like a gyroscope? What are, what what are those things called? They're
3: right. you know, well gyroscope is the gyroscopic effect is you have to spin very very okay. fast. So this is not exactly what we're talking about, but the spinning is still the same, okay. right? The concept is the same. If you're spinning along one axis and you're spinning That's along another axis. About. Ideally, right, the axis of rotations if they intersect, right? You want that to be the same spot whichever direction right. you're going to minimize the amount of torque you need to go in either direction. Yeah. Whoa!
0: So, so, so what you're saying is, if, you're, if you manage to spin in two axes, but they, but those two axes will intersect only in one spot. So what's mm-hmm. wrong with that? There's, there's, Of course, to say they intersect in the same spot, if they intersect, they intersect. That is right. the spot. So what that's are you saying?
3: Right. So what I'm saying is, let's say you... Uh, okay, by the way, when axis, Charles says that's a good point, skewed. that
0: means he, he says he was wrong. Okay,
3: that's <laughs> <See, wait. laughs> Thanks, Neil. You are <laughs> assuming that the axes are on the same plane. Right. Right. When you have two lines in the same plane, they must intersect at a single point in have right. geometry. But I'm thinking in three dimensions, which means that you might be offset. Okay, my bad. You have to do this and do that.
0: I just got out <laughs> geeked there. Right, so if it's, oh, if it's, it's, it's two it's different, different bad, planes... I mean
3: that you're admitting that you're wrong? You're yes, wrong. I'm
0: admitting that okay. I'm wrong. Right. Not only being just wrong, checking. but being wrong, saying you're wrong. Hey, man, okay. <laughs> don't,
3: don't mess
0: with those
2: gamma ray <laughs> geeks. <laughs> don't mess with those gamma ray geeks. Gamma ray geeks. right. So, Charles, where is she getting all of this energy to perform this and get her hang time because Perfect. when she does her flicks she doesn't seem to have her hands in contact with the floor for any length of time yeah. and it's not as if she's taking a 100 yard run up to get well, the speed she does,
3: ta- she does take a run up to but get to that the far. corner, Right. It's, it's only like you know one half the diagonal length of the floor mm. but in addition the spring action that she gets off the ground has to come from her muscle power. Mostly from her lower body, but even from her upper body, she can produce a little bit by swinging her arms or otherwise lifting the upper carriage of her body. And that vertical push is so important. If you get your body up two feet off the ground to go from up and back down again, you have about seven-tenths of a second here on Earth's surface. If you can get four feet off the ground, you have a full second. And if you get six feet off the ground, you have one point two seconds, give or take. If so, I can
1: get my body six feet off the ground, <laughs> I
3: am using a yeah. ladder. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, the well, crane, I'm there's, I'm there's a crane. There's a crane and a grapple hook. Yeah. I'm going to walk to the edge of a six foot high ledge. That's how I get right. it up. 2.6 <laughs> feet off the ground. There's there's no vertical way for me to do it. But uh, if you look at her video of how high she gets with that spring, she looks like she gets at least four feet off the ground. I wouldn't be surprised if it were closer to six feet. And you can time the time that she leaves the floor till the time she hits the floor again. And well, you know, she's that's four a feet long, eight. Long
0: time. You know, she's four feet eight. So it looks like she leaps higher than not to the bottom of her feet, but when she's tumbling forward it looks like she's easily arcing higher than her own height. Yeah, That's what it looks like to me. That's
3: that's right. And so every fraction of a second gives her that much more time to complete a twist or a flip. So uh, it's a tremendous physical activity. uh,
0: So it might mean that the future of floor exercises in competitors is to continue to improve that hang time. It just gives you more time to do things to get points for it.
3: That's right. What is the acceleration you can get off the ground before you perform your mid-air activities? Um, smaller gymnasts have that advantage, but the smaller you are, possibly the less muscle mass you have, and thus mm-hmm. the less power you can generate when you leap. And mm-hmm. so it's a trade-off, and technique is so important in this case, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, because of the balance of those two competing Characteristics. Well, I've got one more. I got another clip here.
0: Uh, Speaking of technique, uh, there's the one and only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? And I'd sat down with him a couple of years ago, and we chatted about what what became the most lethal basketball shot in the NBA. And by the way, of course, he's six time NBA champion, six time MVP, but he hasn't played for like 32 years. But his point total, career point total, is still unsurpassed. After 32 years, a third of a century, people. So... (laughs) And some people remember him as starring opposite Bruce Lee in the Game movie... Game of Death! Game of Death, my yes. favorite moment See, is when... Knows,
2: Charles knows this!
0: <laughs> <laughs> told you. So my favorite moment is when he kicks Bruce Lee in the chest, mm-hmm. and Bruce, because Bruce Lee is a tiny man, mm-hmm. and Bruce Lee looks and there's a footprint huge the footprint on the footprint chest. on chest. Oh, the chest,
3: absolutely. <laughs> and, and of course, he was wearing that bright neon jumpsuit at that time. Yeah, so, so it was totally, really, like,
0: it was yeah. all there. So the question in my conversation with him was, what does he even understand of his own, about the skyhook that he pioneered. Check it out. What percent of your 38,000 points were skyhook points?
5: Would you guess? I'd say three quarters. Three quarters? Yeah. Ooh. But, you know, I I learned, everything I learned, you know, had to do with learning the mechanics of the shot and shooting a bow and arrow. Because you figure out what the drop is all about you know, what the arc is all about. And once you get got that figured out, you can, you you become accurate. You're a marksman at that point.
0: So you're a basketball marksman?
5: You have to be. Well, if you're going to be successful. And I I led the league in um, field goal percentage a number of years. I think that was really my success too. You know, I had a successful shot that they couldn't block. That's what enabled me to endure.
0: What's intriguing about this hook shot I think uh, Bill Bradley famously was quoted saying that in the hook shot, because he also did the hook shot, the hook shot, you, your eyes are not on the ball or mm-hmm. on your hand or anywhere near your arm. No. So that there's a sense of where the basket is relative to the ball if you have enough experience on the court. So you don't actually need to look at where the basket is. And you must agree with that because you were successful in a hook shot.
5: You but, don't have to know where the ball is. You got to keep your eye on the basket, but you don't have to have your eye on the ball.
0: Okay, but that requires some musculoskeletal
5: activity. Yes. That's why you practice.
0: (laughs) That's the quote of the interview. (laughs) That's why you practice.
3: (laughs) Musculoskeletal.
0: I just like it's that you know the person scores thirty two point thousand points so yeah just keep your eye on the basket and the ball finds mm-hmm. the <laughs> he's casually talking about this and this is extreme high precision accuracy of that shot and and his talent so Charles it, it, we didn't mention the fact that he happens to be seven feet two yes yeah. so how so, good is he on an uneven
1: we, parallel bar. <laughs> Chuck, <laughs> can't stop. Chuck, you can't shake the image of Shaq out on the... On the, on the... <laughs> I just want to see a basketball player do gymnastics now. <laughs> so, Charles,
3: uh, yes. he's almost shooting down at the basket. That's right. Well, part of the reason the skyhook was so devastating was that if he lifts his arms up and jumps vertically, the ball at the top of the arc is above the level of the rim. And so he's able to drop the ball in such a way that the cross section that the ball has on the way down is maximized, and yes. nobody can defend against him because, according to the you rule, can't block you the ball on the way block down. Block ball if it's on the way down.
0: Oh my gosh, that's
3: right. Because so, then it's, it's so it's, when what's Kareem the, What's it called if you do that? It's a
0: it's it's goaltending. It's goaltending,
3: right? And it's an automatic basket. So if Kareem is doing the skyhook, Unless he misses, nobody can defend. That's why it, it was the only shot in basketball to
1: be determined an indefensible shot. Because the only way you can get to it is to block it while it's basically at his hand, which I think is it's still in his hand. It's only been done once. Yeah, and you just have to jump ten
0: right, feet up yeah, to do that. You know, while he's possible. doing it, that's well, all.
3: Yeah. Now, now, Michael Jordan's fadeaway jumper was also claimed to be indefensible, but for a different okay. reason. He created space while he right. was shooting, but somebody who was like nine feet tall could theoretically have stopped that right. shot. But for Kareem, it was literally not allowed. Wow! wow.
2: So, did players stop being seven foot two? Did no, the physics taller? Right? Did the physics change? Mm-hmm. And why on earth don't we still see the skyhook in the NBA?
1: Because well, you now have Steph Curry, who has raised yeah. an entire generation of kids who want to shoot the ball from their bedroom <laughs> because that, that was cool.
3: Yeah. And, and, and get so, all net along it. the way. Rule. <laughs> rule changes rule changes, and style changes are the only reason, I think, that it's not uh, uh, fashionable anymore. Aside from the fact that Kareem was, a, as you described, Neil, a remarkable uh, human uh, in terms of musculoskeletal mm. things going on, right? right I right, don't know right. if anybody has that sign of hand-eye coordination We don't even have to look at the ball to drop mm-hmm. it into the hoop from a mm-hmm. distance. Uh, this, the three-point shot now is statistically more devastating than any two-point shooting. Uh, unfortunately, or, or if you're good at it, but if you're good right. at it, also, <laughs> right, you left that also, out. So, if you're good right. at the three, points. and the thing right. is, though, and if
1: there's... three, I forget who said this, three always beats two. <laughs> <laughs> three is greater than two. Three is great.
0: Thank you, Chuck, for that little <laughs> bit of arithmetic for this, for this show, guys. We well, got to take a quick break. We got to take a quick break when we come back more in our exploration of athletic greatness as measured by who has changed the game just by their very existence when we return.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
0: We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. I've got with me our resident geek in chief, and you know who that is, Charlie.
3: <laughs> 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 then you
0: woke up, and I, that was I a here,
3: give you, I give you the crown, Gary. Go for it. <laughs> I, it's,
2: it's not to be taken from you, sir.
0: And of course, we got Gary and Chuck. We're talking about athletic greatness that manifests not simply by how hard they work, but what technique they might have perfected. And we can't have a show like this without talking about the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. A lot of interesting things happened there, not the least of which was Bob Beeman breaking the long jump world record by more than a foot, (laughs) Mm -hmm. by more than a foot, and that would be... <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So more than a foot, and it, it was he didn't just lightly beat his own record; he smashed his own record and every other jump that had ever made. So interesting things happened in those Olympics, and I remember that I was old enough to to, to remember them. Uh, Mexico City it was it was at high altitude, and all of this. But for the purposes of this show, we're going to talk about Dick Fosbury. He's a high jumper, and he won the gold medal going backwards over the bar when everyone before him had gone forwards over the bar. And it looks like he just flops backwards into the the cushion, and it became known as the Fosbury flop. So we've got this clip of an announcer sort of introducing the viewer to Dick Fosbury's innovative technique, and it's got this very period flavor to it. Check it out.
4: An amazing and amusing champion is Dick Fosberry, Here seen psyching himself to a winning pitch. And another gold medal. What's that again, Dick? Unorthodox, perhaps, but kids all over the world are sure to be trying the famous Fosbury Flop.
1: God, I love you. Just, it's, it's just amazing how those how you can tell this is what you had to sound like in order to be
3: an announcer back then. That was you needed that announcer voice.
2: That, yeah. Well, What's Gary, that? Gary, What's did people that sound dick?
3: like <laughs> did people sound like that in UK sports broadcasting
2: too back in the 60s? Um, the language is the same, the accent slightly different. So it was okay. it, it, it was very formulaic. We've copied. So All right, so, so,
0: so Charles, tell me, why? Uh, why does this work, and why does everyone do it okay. now?
3: Well, two key things. Uh, people used to go forward or backward over the bar, right? It, if you jump backwards or sideways, it was a scissors kick technique where you actually could get slightly higher kick off, right. some felt, going backwards or sideways than going forward. But what Fosbury did was go over backwards but bent. Right. He never needed to bring his entire center of mass over the bar. All he was had to do was to make sure that every part of his body was over the bar for at least a brief moment. And so he could fluidly go over backwards. And because the, the legs could hang down low, he right. didn't have to produce as much upward power. And then he could land with a flop on his back and his head.
0: So what you're saying is if you go over backwards, your legs dangle at your knees. Mm-hmm. That creates part of an arc. And any good athlete is flexible bending backwards, right? Yep. And so you, he makes a, like a, a, a semicircle mm-hmm. out of his body going right. backwards and then curls over the bar. That's right. But, but you're, what you're telling me, all of us, is that he took his center of mass outside of his body.
3: Basically, so how do do that? right. Think yeah. of a U-shape. Right. If you have a a bar and it's straight, the center of mass is in the middle. But if you make a U-shape, the center of mass is kind of down in the middle of the U. So if you're going over and the whole time, compared to the bar, you're a U-shape, then your center of mass rides below the bar at all times.
1: You know, the funny thing is, you would think this would be intuitive because he's really just following the natural curve of the human body. From our spine all the way down to our ankles, our body curves that way. But if you were to go forward, at some point the curve stops at your thigh because your knees don't bend. They don't bend the other way. They bend forward. (laughs) (laughs) So so you would think somebody
2: would have thought of this before him. Do you know what, Chuck? If you introduce thicker matting, into the equation, which it came around around about that sort of time, you can exercise that technique. If you've got nothing but sand to jump into over a bar, your landing's quite brutal. That's an excellent point. The
3: technology or the rule change that allowed a mattress, right, Gary? I mean, Mm. before this, the people landed on a, a sort of, a, like you said, a sand pit or a thin mattress or something. But once they created those really springy, thick things, you didn't mind hitting the back of your head every time you landed. And so maybe people uh, thought of it before, but then said, but they "I actually like, want to keep." I ain't brain. going there. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy who
1: actually thought of it got brain damage. <laughs> thought he of it and did it. Right. He did it. Got four concussions. <laughs> forgot who he was, and the technique was temporarily lost.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Charles, the world record now for men's um, soda mayor from Cuba. Yeah. All right. It's eight feet and a quarter inch. That is huge. And the women's record, uh, Kostadinova from Bulgaria, six feet, ten and a quarter inches. This is, uh, I can't even imagine this, but let me ask you, is there, of course, they're all doing the Fosbury flop. Is there some bit of physics that we're waiting to be invented to make a, a, a brilliant leap in these numbers? Jetpack. (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 or was, was, was the Fosbury Flock the physics limit of this, of this event?
3: Well, I imagine that there could be technique further developed in the future that allows you to uh, go higher without producing more power. And that might require a human being adapting, training in a different way, different muscles, something like that.
0: Okay, so a different uh, a leaping technique, right? Yeah, And, and every
3: time, every time people say, "Oh, we've reached a limit; you can't do any better," somebody eventually breaks that limit. So I, mm-hmm. I, it would be foolish for me to speculate whether we've reached the top.
2: Okay, and, let's 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 join two of our game changers together here. What if I got myself that six foot gymnast and made them do a floor routine, run up and get them up and over the bar. Would oh, that interesting.
3: That would be amazing. And then the landing would have to be really far, right? And then do that huge jump. I think that would be a really interesting thing to try. Probably
2: be against the laws of the event, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if the right. experiment works. Rule changes would make a great point, Gary.
3: Just like the three-point play put the sky oh. hook into the back burner of basketball.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For So let's move on to our next example here. It's Edwin Moses, who's keeping in the track and field theme, a double Olympic gold medalist. Uh, and he had a winning record of nine years, nine months, and nine days. Wow. Who, who even calculates that? And his <laughs> event was the 400-meter hurdles. But that's not even what I like most about him. He's a physics and engineering major at Morehouse College. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. Nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Geek in the house. All right. And so I interviewed him recently for an earlier version of Star Talk Sports Edition. But now there's a clip
4: that has special relevance for this show. So check it out. All I had to do was teach myself how to run the hurdles 35 meters apart. And the first time I did it, I found myself running 13 I found myself uh, using my left leg, which is the inner leg. which 13 run, strides between 13 verticals. steps, right. yeah. 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 Yeah, running so- uh, closer to the curve. And then I figured out that if I run eight inches away from the inner line, which is where they measure the lane, versus, uh, you know, two or three feet in the middle of the lane, I'm saving three to four meters per race, which is like 15 feet. Anywhere from twelve to fifteen feet. So that was the first adjustment I made.
0: Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 Edwin, are you saying wow. that the effective length of your path, because you start out in blocks, right? Right. And correct. of course, you have to stay in your lane because that you were hurdle all the way around. So the length, the actual four hundred meters, is not the center line of the width of your lane.
4: Eight inches, eight inches from the inner line.
0: I didn't know that.
4: Eight oh. inches from the inner line. So my endeavor was to run as close to the inner line as I could, right. whereas most people just run all over the lane. And by doing that, I calculated the radius of the track and figured it out that I was saving three to four meters per race. So that's 12, Holy 15 feet. And I was, I was basically. <laughs> and that's a huge, that's a huge that's a lot.
1: distance. Wow! Yeah. I, I, I just love the fact that Edwin Moses ran all those races with a ruler strapped to his foot, <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, with a laser altimeter. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Charles, talk me through this. So, mm-hmm. is it really that? I mean, I have to believe he did yeah. the calculation right, but but can I get a backup? All right. Verification of well, that from
3: you? Let's do some real-time math, shall we? If we approximate the oval track as a circle and the 400 meters is all the way around, yeah. okay, the circumference of anything is 2 pi r, where r is mm-hmm. the radius. So you're going around the whole track once, 2 pi r. Now, if r happens to be, say, 3 feet less or 2 feet less, in this case, it's like one and a half feet less, right? Right. So it's two times pi times one and a half feet, one and a half, uh, two it's pi a is distance. six, right? So one and a half times six something is about nine or 10 feet. He got it bang on.
0: So what we're saying is he ran a shorter race. Right. He did.
3: That's it. I mean, think about it. 10 feet is a c- considered a
0: massive advantage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if he doesn't tell anyone this, and everyone mm-hmm. say, "Oh my gosh, look at this
3: amazing
0: athlete," he's just smarter than everybody else. <laughs> That's <what> Right?
2: <laughs> well,
3: yeah. I mean, all track people uh, do know that in the end, you want to get on the inside, right? Mm. That that people know. But right. the question is uh, exactly how much uh, Edwin was able to do the math, quite right. literally. And and and, and 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 so this for all of you kids listening. And
1: you're like doing math and going, when am I ever going to use this crap? <laughs> when it's you
0: for your a double gold, gold medal. medal. That's right. <laughs> yeah. that's right. When, you, this is when you're, you're undefeated
3: for uh, nine uh, years, nine months, and nine days. But another thing that you should uh, note in here is what he said, the 13 steps. Uh, in his day, very few people could even do 13. Most people struggled at 15. And the more you touch the ground, the more you slow down. Right. if mm-hmm. you stay in the air more, so if you only touch the ground 13 times between hurdles, you have a distinct advantage over people who are 15 times touching
0: well, the is ground. This, is this true, Charles, for the, for the embarrassingly obvious fact that whenever you're touching the ground,
3: you're not moving forward?
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean if, if your foot is in contact with the track, your foot is not moving forward.
3: Correct. This, your center of mass continues to move. But you will be moving a smaller distance if a piece of you is touching the ground just because of the friction. You're also you're adding the vertical and the horizontal push, the force, every time you touch the ground. So That's how is run. Yeah, you could conceivably uh, run with more power with each step. But Chuck, you're right. Cheetahs like take a step and they're like gliding through the air for a period of time.
1: And they purposely elongate their body while they're in the air. In the air. To cover more distance and so that they're touching the ground much less. uh,
3: Yeah.
0: Chuck, you're saying the cheetah did the math, is what (laughs) you're saying?
3: Well, soccer players too, right, Gary? Soccer players yeah. do that, right? You, yeah. If you want to do a truly high speed run, you are trying to take as few strides as possible and make them long, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, but that's if but if you have the ball, you need to still control the ball. And then yeah. that's the opposite. Well, that's
2: you that's the alchemy long. to be able to run with the ball as quick as you can run without it. That's why they okay, say so
1: Messi is Messi is so great. Yep, because he doesn't have those long strides, but he's so fast with the dribble. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Absolutely. So,
0: so Charles, um, in the modern-day tracks, they yeah. use the tartan sort of rubber yeah. uh, track that has a sort of a springiness to it. Right. T- tell me briefly about that. Briefly, because well, we got some more we want to cover okay. here.
3: Well, the elasticity of that stuff is certainly very nice in being able to provide a little extra spring in your step every time you step down. But really, that elastic stuff is to protect your ankles. Uh, more important than anything else, you want to keep the runners running for a longer period of time in their lives. So they're like shock absorbers. So in a sense, you get an advantage, but everyone gets the same advantage because they're all running on the same track. But maybe you get an extra year or two in your career without pounding it hard on asphalt. Wait, wait, wait.
0: So that's first, wait, wait. But a shock absorber absorbs shocks if your energy that you use to squeeze it returns to you Mm -hmm. with the material recovering its shape then it's a shock uh, helper, in a sense.
3: Right. And what it does is the parts of your body that need to compress, like your ankles, okay, will compress and be able to come back out. You're reducing reducing the impulse that your ankles are feeling because the amount of time of impact is increased by that time it takes
2: to squish. Do you know the other aspect to the, the vulcanized rubber, the Mondo track that they run on? Mm. you use shorter spikes. If they ran on cinders, the spikes had to be longer because they wanted grip. The grip means friction. The shorter spikes oh, don't have as much friction. And Moses said, as soon as he ran in the first his first Olympics and he realized he was going to run on this rubberized track, he went game over.
0: Wow. <laughs> there, everyone
2: else is running for second place.
0: Right, because my father, when he ran track, um, when I was a little kid and he still ran, I saw his cleats mm-hmm. and, and spikes, and when the tartan tracks came in and other tracks of that nature, he was able to use the shorter spike. Yeah. And yeah, the less time you've dug into the track, to your point, Charles, you want to minimize how much time you're doing that. Wow. Mm. Guys, we got another clip, but we, we ran out of time in this segment. Let's get to it in our Shoot the Shit segment, and we're going to talk about Sasha Cohen, The figure skater who did a quad jump, but like how, when, and where. We're gonna get to that right when we come back on Star Talk Sports Edition. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition, third segment and final segment. Usually we just shoot the shit here, but there was so much content, some of it spilled into the segment. Let's get straight to it. We're going to talk about the figure skater, Sasha Cohen, who's actually a friend of Star Talk. She appeared in one of our live performances at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and it was great to have her on stage, and uh, she still has bubbly energy, and it was great just talking to her about her career and what she's doing now. But let's, let's pick up a segment from that conversation where we talk about how should you break down the components of the quad jump. Let's check it out. You gave a brilliant description of how you give yourself rotational inertia. Mm -hmm. Okay? For a jump.
2: We haven't even gotten to the spin.
0: But however, you didn't... Well, okay, so to me, in physics, you generally break things apart into components and you put them all together for the one thing. I break this apart. You told me how you gain spin, but you have, if you're going to do a quad, you have to be airborne long enough to complete the quad before you hit the
2: ground. Yes. So that's part of it because you'll notice if, if you've watched figure skating this past Olympics, you will see some people barely get off the ice and they can do three turns and some people get this hot this high up and they don't complete it two or
1: three feet off the ice so So it really is the rotational it's how fast fast you launch
2: yourself up gotcha and then obviously it goes into like what's your body type do you have like wide hips how fast are you spinning and that's why men rotate faster and generally do a lot more quads than women do they're they spin faster they've got narrower hips um but you know women are more flexible so we've got better spiral sequences How, how how
0: many women have done quads
2: you know, a couple have done it in practice, and I feel like maybe like one, one or two have done it in competition. And
0: you've done a quad.
2: I have. A long time ago. A long time ago. You can, it's, thankfully, YouTube exists, and it will always live there. I hope. <laughs> I'll be like, wow, I used to do that. Now I just sit.
3: <laughs> wow.
0: That's uh, such great memories, b- being on stage with her. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Charles, so she said a lot of what you said earlier in this show, mm-hmm. where you need the height, so the hang time, yep. to borrow from basketball. And But she's also talking about the, the diameter, the hip diameter, of men versus women. Why should that matter here?
3: Right. Well, the wider you are compared to how tall you are, the greater your uh, so-called moment of inertia is. And the more force you need in order to get yourself spinning. So mm-hmm. uh, a man's ratio of the width of the hip bones, the pelvis, to height, is smaller than a woman's t- on average. Yeah, on, yeah I was mm-hmm. going to say because t- that
1: mm-hmm. that you you just described the antithesis to my body type because <laughs> <laughs> I'm I am very hippie, but my hips don't lie. So I don't.
0: Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: So, so the, I see what you did there, Chad. <laughs> yeah. So, one the, one. the speed right. that she was talking about, right, is very true. Because in figure skating, you can start your spin while you're still on the ice. So, you can create more torque. So, if you're speeding along and being able to translate more of that translational momentum into angular momentum as you lift off, you don't have to get as high if you're already spinning quickly uh, when you start your jump.
2: Hmm. Oh, cool. But, but this is this is the really fine line for me, because if I go too fast, I'm in trouble. Because every jump and Chuck taught me this: every jump has to land on one foot. Yeah, one skate. That, that so, is that's a rule. Yes, right. So if I come too quickly, I have less chance of control, and I've really got to get this fine line. And I can imagine it's difficult if you think you're approaching that that jump too quickly. What well, you might bail out of it and just do a triple. There might be mm-hmm. all sorts of in-event, it, just things that you Adjustments. feel. Adjustments. Yeah, that you feel yeah, yeah. in the moment before you can do that, or you just say it's Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so, so Charles, what do you say about someone who, let's say you can do it in practice, but in the in the heat of the moment, um, you, you make mid-course decisions regarding it? Yeah. Um, how, how, how common is that, do you think? Uh, it man. happens.
3: Uh, there are athletes who can land quads in practice but do not land quads in competition or mm-hmm. others who for example have won many uh smaller events uh world championships even but in the olympics have not won and that's on the biggest com- stage yeah it's a combination of of bad luck and some sports psychology right there's minute to minute or competition to competition your body's just a little bit different the conditions might be a little bit different and then what your brain does to command your body to perform these physically very difficult acts can vary from one venue to the next. And these are because it's
0: that- it's really remarkable, Charles. I don't think people pause and reflect on this often or deeply enough. Mm-hmm. But here I am training, right? And I'm, I'm doing my best, and I go in smaller contests. Then I go to a big stage, as is so often the case in the Olympics. That's the biggest stage there is. And then you perform better than you ever did. Right. Well, how does that happen unless your brain took over at some point, because your your muscles, your speed, your coordination is performing in a way you have never seen.
1: Uh-huh. It's because you're an attention whore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no,
1: no, no. Thank you for that analysis,
0: Josh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, it's just and, like look you? at
1: look about, like you have us. It happens. You like, well,
0: but 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 all I'm trying to say is that if your body could actually do that reliably. You would be doing it all the time, and the Olympics would just be another day in the park. But it's not. Mm -hmm. So the big, okay, Neil, here, from the (laughs) athletics. For those who do rise to the challenge, it's got to be the brain, not the muscles. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. From
2: my side of it, there are some people, you put them in the big game, their big game player arrives.
0: And that, like Reggie Jackson being Mr. October. Yeah,
2: and it's. It, it, and I think you're absolutely right when it becomes a mental aspect because they didn't all of a sudden become the Hulk. This thing happened inside their mind and they just said, right, it's time to deliver. Whatever the best is, it's coming now.
3: Right. Well, we all know that our brains control how much, say, a- adrenaline goes into our systems and allows our bodies to perform a little bit higher or lower. For some people... Jeez. Wait,
0: wait, wait! So, Charles, so she just gave me an idea. Oh. So, if at the beginning of a sprint race or anything, or at any race at all, you just have a monster chasing people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <Right>. and, and <laughs> as a matter of fact, that's how Usain Bolt wins all his races. Right before uh, they sound the gun, he hears woo, <laughs> and uh,
0: <laughs> he's actually there's a monster in in yeah. his head chasing him. Yeah. Right, well, right.
3: Uh, put put a like a cheetah behind everybody in the starting blocks
1: and then well, that, go that, that doesn't th- work all know because you the- know the old joke i don't have to be faster than the cheetah i just got to be faster be than faster you. than you right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right so 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 what we're agreeing upon here is the limits of your body can only actually be achieved in the limits of your mind I love well, the that. two of them are tied. Oh, that's a
3: quote. I love Ooh, that. Right wow. the, the two of them are tied closely together. I don't know if Ooh. it's one way or the other that's more important, but certainly you know, they are they are not what independent. What you just what said. I got to that one yeah, down.
1: That's a, <laughs> one, man, that's a new t-shirt. Yeah. We got to get that, that man. getting that on a so t-shirt. I I I heard pro—I heard this program I was driving once and I because I was driving I don't know the name of the program. But it's ta- it was talking about exactly what you just said. And there's this bicycle race that lasts for like days and days, like nonstop. You don't get to stop. And this gentleman who participated in the race finished the race basically in a state of unconsciousness because he was pushing himself so hard and his teammates were pushing him. And he but basically it was all his brain that was doing everything. Okay, so that takes us back to the original Marathon. Well, maybe. What's what's the original Marathon?
0: Well, as the story goes, you know, the runner who was sent back to Athens from Marathon to report on the results of the battle, uh, and he ran the whole way, I'm told in the legend, he delivered the information and then dropped dead.
3: Oh! Yeah, that's too bad.
0: But so, why didn't he drop dead one kilometer sooner, right? Right. right. So, his brain carried him that extra right. the, the brain carried well, him. You know. And isn't it true, Charles, in China, that the death rate of citizens, senior citizens, probably, is higher the week after the Chinese New Year than before?
3: Possibly, yes, because
0: or it could be just they ate too much. <laughs> <laughs> they partied down. Uh,
3: it's interesting, I, and I think other holidays, it might be true, like Christmas and New Year's yeah. in mm-hmm. the United States, right? I mean, it's, it. You you came up with a great quote right now, but I think Yogi Berra said it just as well, or, or you know, when he said that ninety. Uh, Not of Yogi
0: Berra. Yogi Berra, get your yogis
3: when straight Yogi here. Yogi Berra. Thank you. What did I say? <laughs> Yogi Bear. Oh, okay. hey, boo boo. That's one. Okay, fine. Yogi Bear said,
2: it ain't 90%. <laughs> <laughs> boo <Boo-boo>. boo. <laughs> <laughs> Yogi Bear said, you should have the picnic dick basket. Okay. <laughs> um,
3: now, Yogi Bear said, 90% of the game is half mental.
1: <laughs> what a great quote. That's amazing. Okay, so he flunked his math class,
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, right. but he's in the hall of fame. <laughs> he's in the hall of fame. He and Edward Moses have to like duke it out? They got to figure that right, one out. Charles,
2: here's a thought for you: Is there any room left for innovation in sports technique, or there are he we? Is. Uh, or, or, okay, there's my answer. There, there, do we have to go straight to machines and and
0: and human genetic? No, I don't think so.
3: I mean, there there are two aspects to this, right? One is. Um, individual activity uh you guys remember the burkoff blast off yeah yeah no. this was a backstroker who figured out yeah, that he if could. he did not surface from his first launch till he Bang. was more than halfway across the pool if he
0: stayed a porpoise yes. underwater yes. dolphin
3: kicked his way across yeah. half the and pool. he had a devastating advantage for a long time and the world uh, swimming competition body banned the move yeah changed the rules because they felt that it was Outside the scope of what the backstroke was supposed to be. Yeah, you're biased. But the, did they
0: take away his medal? Uh, no, in, no. When no, they did no, that? They did not no, but they take oh, away for any away his awards. awards.
3: Okay, well, they could
0: have done that with Fosbury, that's right. and they could have said, "No, you broke the rule." Right. The, what this myst- mystical rule that we don't even know we've written yet, right. and but they didn't. They kept it in. Right. So is this just regressively thinking um, uh, uh, boards of these sports Possibly. that um, it, won't it, allow it, you, you innovation?
3: Can, you can argue that if you're underground, uh, underwater for so long, you're not actually doing a backstroke, right? You're on your right. back, but you're that not was, actually on the surface of the water. That's what they so said. You're violating the spirit. On,
1: of this of the stroke itself, right?
3: It, it depends on each game, and it's root. but he's still on his back. Well, for real. come on now, it, it, it really depends. You're not swinging your arms though, right? So that means so he's still on his
2: back. back. Didn't well, they ban Ryan Lochte it. as well for his his innovation? By what did he do? He did. He, I think he did a similar thing, but he he did it in the medley. So he used the similar technique in the medley, and I think they. Put the kibosh on that as well.
3: Yeah, it's possible okay. that swimming just has different philosophical uh, philosophy about the rules compared to others, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and then in mm-hmm. team sports, of course, if you assemble a team of people with extra special skills or certain abilities, you X-Men. have an infinite number of different innovations you can do. I think of the West Coast offense in football, for example, uh, that was created by Bill Walsh and San Francisco 49ers with Joe Montana. Um, They basically created the the offense that dominates uh, what is in football today. Uh, When you had a quarterback that could throw the ball accurately across a wide range and just keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. And the hurry-up offense in football, Mm. for example, had to be curtailed a little bit because the offensive team was getting such an advantage by not going to the huddle.
0: So what you're saying, Charles, is we don't know what hasn't been invented yet that could innovate things that we think have gone stale. Because you need just someone clever to come along and rethink it.
3: That's right. So I think the answer to Gary's question is that uh, innovation will always continue, and it's all a matter of whether sport can keep up.
1: And there'll always Ooh. be someone there to say, no, you can't do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we got to call it quits there. But this has been a very fun conversation. Yeah. I'm glad we have those archival clips to add to what we were talking about. And so, Chuck, always good to have always you. A Tweeting a Chuck Nice comment. Thank you. And um, Gary, my three left feet. Yep. That's That'll your be me. Twitter handle. Yep. That would be you. Okay. <laughs> and Charles Liu, our resident geek in chief. you You have never failed. To impress us Leisure with everything you, you bring to the table. Thank you. Newton. And that's why we, we keep you in arms reach. Thank you so much. For just us. <laughs> 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 All right. And you had a book coming out, right? The What was that? The, well, uh, the Answers in the. Space Travel
3: is coming out. Okay. Uh, and um, there's a children's, a baby's book about Newton's laws of physics. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Babies for babies? Those, <laughs> Those are some smart babies. <laughs> yeah, well, amazing. What do, you, what do
1: you do? You just throw it in the crib? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and you can measure the parabolic arc of the motion based on Newton's law of gravity.
0: <laughs> nice. All right. All right. Well, we'll have to talk about that one when that one arrives. Okay. Uh, guys, we call and quits there. Uh, thanks for, for this show. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Keep looking up.